Hey, well, if you have a Bible, I want you to go ahead and grab your Bible today and open it to the book of Acts, which is in the New Testament. And if you don't have a Bible with you, maybe you can grab an app or whatever. would love for you to join me as we're in this series, Church on the Move. Somebody say, Church on the Move. Church on the Move, and we are walking through our story. We're walking through the story of Jesus' followers and where they came or what they came through immediately after the time of Jesus a couple thousand years ago, and it kind of helps us to understand our own story as well. So we are in Acts chapter 8, and I'm going to begin in verse 4, and um, and we're going to walk through a passage, and then I've got three main things. I've got a thousand things that I want to accomplish in our time, but I'm going to limit it to three. Um, somebody say, thank Jesus. Um, I'm going to limit it to three, and um, unless, unless y'all want to be here to like two or three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm down. I'm down. I mean, everybody else is down. Okay. I'm, um, so we're going to limit this to three things, and then, um, and then we'll see what the Lord has for us today. So here's the title for the sermon today. It's this, we got to go. We got to go. Somebody say, we got to go. We gotta go. We gotta go. So here we go. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. Cat um, is on visuals. Everybody put your hands together for Cat in the back. Um, Cat, I'm completely changing up the order of the way that I'm doing this. I'm going to walk through the text and then I'm going to go back into the points, okay? Different than the way that we did this originally. So here we go. Um, Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. It says this. Now those who were scattered, somebody say scattered. They went about preaching or proclaiming or declaring the word. The term there for this, the Greek term for this English term word is actually the term logos or logos. It's, it's where we get um, the, the term word from. It's actually the same term that's used for Jesus. And it means the message. It means the, the word. It's the message. It's the proclamation and the declaration of who Jesus is and what he has done. Verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowds with one accord, they paid attention to what was being said by Philip, which is every preacher's um, desire. They would pay attention. And when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did, he's proclaiming, he's teaching, he's sharing this good news of Jesus and their signs, which mean their physical signs of a spiritual message. And, and these are the signs that it says, verse 7, for unclean spirits, speaking of actual spirits, demon spirits, unclean spirits crying with a loud voice, they came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Look at what happens in verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. Which that's like part of our goal, right? We just want there to be much joy in Wilmington. Like we want the, the part of the byproduct of the Bridge Church being present in our city is that there's much joy. And here we see that they're, they, Philip, this guy, he's proclaiming the message. He's talking about Jesus. He's just telling people what happened. He's sharing this message. And then people's lives are being changed in response to that message. People are being healed. People are being delivered. And it's like a good day in Samaria. They're like, I kind of like that these people are here. I kind of like that these Christians are here. They're a little weird. They're a little odd. They're talking about this guy named Jesus. They seem really passionate. They seem really radical. But at the end of the day, I'm kind of glad that they're here. That's what we hope and ha hopes happen in, in, in Wilmington. They may not get down with our beliefs. They may not get down with our philosophy or our ideology. But at the end of the day, I'm glad that there's a Christian on my street. I'm glad that there's a Christian in my workplace. 
People are being encouraged. People are being lifted up. Great things are being spoken and people's lives are being changed. And my uncle who was, had this thing, is, he's now healed. And then my, my, my cousin or my daughter or my dad who had this spirit that just couldn't get over, they delivered. And wow, it's, it's amazing, these, these Christians. It's amazing. Now here's what happens again. Look, look further in verse, verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. Got a little magician stuff going on there in Samaria. This is actually some kind of more than just your basic magician. This is like actually some, um, some pretty significant stuff that's going on. And Philip, I'm oh, sorry, Simon rather, he amazed the people of Samaria. He was pretty good at his job, saying that he himself was somebody great. <laughs> uh, Simon's like, I'm pretty awesome at this stuff, and you should like me. Verse 10, and they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God. This is called great. Everybody loved this guy, Simon. He was just amazing. He was a stud. What he did, it was incredible. Verse 11, and they paid attention to him for, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip... As he preached good news about the kingdom of God, this was his message. He was talking about the kingdom, talking about this King Jesus and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. People are believing. People are getting baptized on the spot, men and women. Verse 13, even Simon himself believed. Simon's like, I need a little of this in my life. Simon's like, I, 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 need, I need this. He believes, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. Philip now has an ex-magician who's now a part of his ministry team. That's like pretty cool. Simon's like, sign me up. Whatever you're doing, I used to do some pretty cool stuff, a little uh, sleight of hand, but whatever you're doing is different than what I was doing and I want to be on your team. Simon joins Philip's team and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. This is, this is the, the magician is amazed. <laughs> He's like, I used to like really make, I do some fascinating stuff. Um, but I don't understand how you're doing what you're doing. Like, I could do some cool things, but this is, this is just otherworldly. And S Simon, he actually, he, he becomes a Christian. He, he gets baptized. He, he's like, this Jesus thing, he's like, I got, I got to get down with that. Well, I've never seen anything in my life like this, so I got to get down with that. Now, now, what, um, now look at verse 14. It says this. And Kat, I forget which verse I end at, so we'll just... I'll try to remember that. Verse 14, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, um, the apostles weren't there, by the way. It was just Philip and, and a few Christians. When the apostles heard that they received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. So they're like, send, send these guys. So they came down and prayed for them that they all might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Wow, amazing stuff is happening in Samaria. The apostles aren't there yet, but they send a couple of apostles up there. They pray, they lay hands on these Samaritans. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens again, and it's, it's like another Pentecost moment. It's absolutely amazing. And then jump down to verse 25. Um, we'll skip the section. Simon basically, he says, this is incredible. Simon actually thinks that he can pay for the movement of God um, in his life, and they're like, you got this thing all wrong. They have to set him straight, and then this is what happens in verse 25. And now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Um, so here's, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to do three things, um, and I'm going to try to um, go in a little bit of an order, but three things that I want us to um, pick up and understand from this uh, text for uh, today. To remind you where we are contextually in this situation, 
For seven chapters in the book of Acts, um, and Acts means the Acts of the Apostles. Um, I think you could easily say it's also the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the movement of the Holy Spirit in God's people. For seven chapters, after the time of Jesus, Jesus has lived, he's died, he's resurrected, he's ascended back to the Father. Jesus has now commissioned his church to take this message to the world. Jesus is now back with the Father. And here these early Christians are actually living out the message for the very first time. They're living out this good news. There's a group of apostles who are kind of leaders. And they're leading the church and everyone is in Jerusalem. For seven chapters, everything that happens in the book of Acts happens in Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting is if you go back to chapter 1, the last thing that Jesus told his disciples is that this good news is going to go not only in Jerusalem, but also, he says, in all Judea, he says, in Samaria, and then he says, to the end of the earth. Now, any um, intelligent reader at this point would think, why are we still in Jerusalem? Like, if we really, like, we only got a few chapters. So, if we've got to go to the end of the earth, why are we still in Jerusalem? Well, here's, here's what happens. Stephen, one of the seven that were selected to, to distribute and to do mercy in the church. Stephen, last chapter in chapter seven. He's persecuted because of what he believes, because of the testimony that he's saying in Jerusalem. The, the Jews, the, the, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem are hating this movement of Christianity that's happening. Thousands, literally, of people are giving their life to Jesus Christ and are being baptized as the outward demonstration of an inward heart change. Thousands of people, the Jewish leaders hate it and they want to snuff it out. So they begin to attack it. They begin to attack Christian leaders. They begin to attack the church. And they take this man named Stephen and they make him an example in front of everyone. And they literally stone him and kill him. He dies because of his faith. And he doesn't shrink back and he doesn't, he doesn't give up even in the face of unbelievable opposition and pressure. And then you fast forward into chapter 8 and this unbelievable persecution happens across the church. Where just because of the belief in Jesus and who he is and what he's done... It says that they go into the homes of Christians and they beat them and they persecute them and they take them out and they throw them into prison. And it's interesting that these Jesus followers, they don't fight back. They don't like, go get your sword. They don't, they don't draw the sword. They just, they receive suffering because their savior was a suffering savior. They just receive it. They, they receive the persecution. They receive the suffering. I, I can only imagine hundreds of Christians are being thrown into prison in, in Jerusalem, one after another. And then in, in, in light of that, Christians don't fight back, but they, they run for their lives. They, they flee. It says that they, they leave the city. And here's the first time in the book of Acts where we see Jesus' followers leave, and they leave Jerusalem, and they are scattered. Here's what we have to understand as a church. Two main functions of the church. The church is gathered. We gather for worship. We gather for fellowship. We gather for community. We gather to serve one another. But the church is not only gathered, the church is also scattered. The church is scattered. So we gather together for worship. We scatter for mission. 
We gather together for fellowship. We scatter for mercy and justice. Two functions of the church that we'll see throughout the book of Acts. There are moments where we gather together, and this is a regular part of, of what it means to be Jesus followers, where, and we don't forsake the assembly, assembling of ourselves, so we, we gather. It's important that we gather. Amen? It's important that we gather. It's important that we get together in relationship, that we get together in community. It's important that we get together in corporate worship to be able to to sing and to be able to praise and to be able to declare things over our lives and to be able to give worship and honor to God and then to be able to receive from the word, to be able to receive what God has for us, how he's maturing us, how he's growing us, the testimony. And so the church is gathered, but then it's also scattered. Um, what many theologians will say at this point was that this scattering, that this persecution was a part of God's plan. That the affliction, that the persecution, that the suffering was actually a part of God's strategy to get his people to the world and to the nations. And which means we've got to be a church that is going. We've got to be going. We've got to be going. We've got to be going to our workplaces. We've got to be going to our homes. We've got to be going to our neighborhoods. We've got to be going to our city. We've got to be going to the impoverished areas. We've got to be going to the wealthy areas. We've got to be going and going and going. We've got to go to the world as well. I'll say it this way. Jesus never commands the world to go to the church. He commands the church to go to the world. He commands the church to go to the world, which means we just can't sit here and, and, and wait for people to come. We can't just sit here and act like just because we exist and just because we think we're cool or bougie or whatever or multi, that people are just going to automatically come. The reason why people are here is because somebody went to them first. Somebody took the message to them. Somebody showed up in their life. Somebody showed up in their home. Somebody showed up in their workplace and loved them and knew their name and just said who you are and, or who are they and what's their story and invited them in. The church can't just be content with gathering. The church also has to be ambitious about scattering. Here's what, here's what inevitably happens. Whenever a new church is started or a new church is planted, and we're seven years old now, so I don't think we're new anymore. Newer, young, younger, but we don't qualify as new, I don't think. But a newer church, what inevitably happens is that when you beginning, when, it, when a new work starts, um, it's like you have to go, like, or you die. It's like you have to reach people, it's like you have to. Then there's this, there's this culture, there's this ambition. If you've ever been a part of a new church, it's like a crazy ambition about we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. There's an urgency, there's an urgency. What inevitably happens is once you get enough people or once you get to a point where you feel like you are legitimate, um, what begins to happen is the urgency begins to go away and rather having an urgency about um, <laughs> who we have to reach, the urgency is about who we have to keep. And, and so what happens is you transition in, not into a reach mode but into a preservation mode. How do we preserve what we have? That is a death wish for every church. Every church has to um, not lose the desire and the ambition to reach the people that aren't in the room. You transition from being an externally focused church to an internally focused church. A church that's so worried about our own needs and our own desires and our own programs and we got to make this person happy and this person happy. We've got to make sure that you do this and this and this and this. And programs are important. Ministries are important. But at the end of the day, we can't be so internally focused that we lose our urgency for the external and externally focused. 
this, this is, this is why, this is why it, just, it just breaks my heart. Um, churches get to a point where they, uh, they're no longer worried about reaching the next generation. The vast majority of churches in our world today are people that are two or three generations uh, uh, before me. You walk, walk into church, there's, n- there's no younger, younger generation. At some point, a shift happened in the mindset of that church where they were okay with the current generation that they had and weren't worried about the next generation. If you don't worry about the next generation, then that's a death wish for your church. We always have to be worried about who's not here, the next generation that's, that's coming up. And, and we, as cool as we, we may be, have to be willing to change the things that we're doing for the next generation that's coming. The next generation won't be down with, with all this. Uh, this like strategy and this methodology isn't going to last for centuries, you know, just because we think we're cool. No, that's what they thought in the 50s and the 60s as well, that they were cool. And it stopped working. And, and so all that to say, that was a long way of saying, um, that was a long way of saying is that, that the church is, is gathered, but the church is also scattered. Somebody say, we got to go. We got to go, we got to go, we got to go. And we can't wait for the world to come to the church. We got to uh, take the church to the world. We got to take the church to the world. So that's, that's the first thing that, um, um, that I want to say. Here's, here's the second thing that, that I want to say. Philip's strategy, um, and this is amazing to me. This is the first time the gospel in the book of Acts is leaving Jerusalem. It's the first time and there are no apostles. It's a guy named Philip who's like on the serving committee. He's like on the mercy committee. Like he's the whole story of chapter 8. He's not an apostle. He's, like, he's not like someone that like has unbelievable seminary degrees or anything. He's just Philip. He's one of the seven. He says he, he was full of the Holy Spirit though. He was full of the Holy Spirit and a man of wisdom. And he scattered. He, he ran from Jerusalem. And then he took the gospel to the city, to Samaria, where he found himself. Here's what that means. When you become a Christian, you become a preacher. Okay? I know you don't want to hear that. You're like, ah, no, that's not, I'm not. That's, no, no. When you become a Christian, you become a preacher. You, it just, just means you proclaim the message and the story of who Jesus is and what he has done. Every Christian has the mantle of preacher. Okay? Which means wherever you go and wherever God sends you, you got to take the message and the story with you wherever God sends you. Philip, he's just an ordinary guy. He's just a normal dude. He's running for his life. And he shows up into Samaria. And what does he do? He shares the good news. I assume it went down kind of like this. Philip, I don't know if he had a family. I don't know if there were kids. I don't know what his deal was or what his situation was. He's running for his life. I imagine he's got a bag and that's a, about it. He shows up in a city of Samaria and he's, he's like, hey, I'm, 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 out, I'm from out of town. I'm just looking for a place to stay. He probably goes on Airbnb. He's like, I can find a place to stay somewhere nearby. He's like, and it comes up in conversation. They're like, well, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you here? Like, you're, you're in Jerusalem. And by the way, you people don't come out this way. So what do you, I assume Philip just said, well, since you asked, um, I'm from Jerusalem, it's where I grew up, and um, I kind of lived my life in a lot of different ways and did a lot of different things, but I don't know if you've heard about this Jesus movement or this Jesus story yet. Um, I thought that the way that you got to God was by being a good person or being religious, and I, I, I thought that I could like, 
I thought that I could really save myself and if I was a good enough person that I would be able to get to heaven. But he's like, I heard this story about Jesus who I'm actually not good enough on my own to make it to heaven, but he actually came for me to be my righteousness and to forgive me of my faults and my failures and to give me a relationship with God. And the way that Jesus proved to me and to the entire world that he's legit is he actually rose from the dead. Like they put him in a grave and then he rose from the dead. And so I imagine Philip was just saying, so I'm a part of that Jesus movement thing. And we were just doing our thing and then people were trying to kill us and people were trying to imprison us. And so now I'm in Samaria um, because I believe in this Jesus guy and he's changed my life. If you believe, he can change your life too. And people begin to hear the message. They begin to hear the message and they're they're changed. Here's what's amazing to me. Philip doesn't have like this ministry posse with him. He doesn't have like evangelistic programs that they've been creating in Jerusalem and trying to put on trial. I mean, he he doesn't have like his, he doesn't have any offerings. There's nothing that he can offer. He's got no building. He's got no ministry. He's got no program. All he's got is a message. All he's got is a message. And he shares that message and people are changed on the spot. Here's how Christianity works and different than religion. The way that religion works is by um, moralism. Being a good enough moral person and... Every religion, every religion, if you keep these statutes, if you do these tenets, if you go here, if you avoid this, if you try this, then you can be accepted, you can receive salvation, whatever it is, the gods that you want to worship, they will be pleased with you if you do these things. Christianity is completely different. Christianity isn't about a set of morals, it's about a message. It's about a declaration. This is like this is like so, I was thinking about this this morning and I like couldn't even contain it. This is so, so crazy. Here, here's, here's what that means. The gospel or the good news or the story of Jesus, it's simply just a message. It's simply just a declaration. It's simply just news. But with that news carries great power. The power to change. Now, I'll break it down for you like this. Why a message can be powerful for life change in someone's life. Uh, uh, let's talk, imagine a son and a father. And the son wanted to please his, his, his father. And so, I mean, he would, on the ball field, he tried really hard to, to, be, a, to be a good player. And he tried to do good, good grades and, you know, try to get into a, a good college. And I, he, wanted to, he wanted his dad to accept him, wanted his dad to love him, and so he spent, you know, his, his entire life um, trying to, to be a good son, to be a good player, to be a good, because he needed, he needed the, the father's love, and so he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and he tried to, to, to earn that father's love. Now, imagine that same son and that father. The father comes to his son, and the father hadn't done a good job of this over the course of his life, but the father says to the son, Oh, son, I'm sorry you ever thought that. I need you to know that I've always loved you. Now, imagine, imagine what that would do for the son. It would, to feel the approval, to feel the 
love from his, his father, it would actually change him from the in, inside out. It would, it would fundamentally change the relationship. It would, it would fundamentally change everything. Here, here's what I'm trying to say. Um, what you receive and the messages that you receive in your life have the ability to do something in your life. Whether it's a negative message, a positive message, whatever that is. And all of us today are believing messages that have been told to us. And, and what I need you to, to understand is that the message of the gospel, that there is a God and he loves you in your current state and has given himself for you. And if you receive that message, you experience salvation. That, that's it. That's what faith is. Faith is when you internalize a belief. Faith is when you take something and you receive it. And that's all that Christianity is, is built upon. It's not built upon um, some kind of ministry model or some kind of church or some kind of methodology. Christianity is built simply on a message. On a message. And the way that you become a Christian is you receive the message. I can tell my wife that I love her every day of the week. But if she doesn't receive that, it doesn't matter. And by the way, she does receive that. Sorry. Um, she does receive that. Um, I can tell you as a pastor, that, that you're loved, that you're valued, that you matter, that you're important. But if you don't receive that message, it won't do anything to you. You see what I'm trying to say here? It's receiving the message. And Philip, he just goes with what he's got. All I got is the message. All I got is the message, and that's what I'm going to share. And accompanying with that message is power great power. So let me just encourage you today. Um, if you were Philip, where has God sent you? Where, where, has, where has God sent you? And you're like, well, Ethan, I'm just a, <laughs> people all the time, I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm, are you a Christian? Has Jesus changed your life? Are, have you been made new? That's all you need. You got the Holy Spirit? You got the Holy Spirit? Then just share the message. Well, people will do this to me and people will do that to me. Of course they will. 100% of the people aren't going to receive the message that you have. They're not going to accept it. Some people are going to malign you and persecute you. Some people on your street are going to think you're an idiot. And that's okay. But you got the message and you got to share the message. You got to share the message. And Philip, all he does is he just shares the message and it absolutely changes people's lives. And then here's the third thing. Here's the third thing that I think is so... Um, essential about this passage. Um, Jesus does something unprecedented that no other religion up to this point has tried to do. Jesus does something so counterintuitive that no other philosophy or ideology has ever tried to do up to this point. Jesus commissions his disciples and he says that this good news will not only be for Jerusalem, It'll also be for Judea, it'll be for Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is basically saying, everyone's welcome. 
Everyone's welcome. It doesn't matter what your tribe is. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter your geography. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter your class, your color, your culture, any of those things. Jesus is basically saying, this is for everybody. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is for everybody. Uh, the doors are open for everybody. And so, so here, here's, here's what happens. Um, the Jewish-minded people, or even the Jewish-minded Christians in Jerusalem, would have had a hard time recognizing that those in Samaria had the same spiritual status as them. And I just recognize that even in our own culture, we sometimes have a hard time recognizing that other people, even other Christians, may have the same spiritual status as us because of a person's, the way they vote, maybe because of, um, maybe because of their race, because of their ethnicity, because of their background, because of whatever. The Jewish, the Jewish Jerusalem Christians would have had a hard time ever accepting that the Samaritans were on the same playing field as them. So here's what happens in, in the story. The apostles are chilling out in Jerusalem. They, they hear what's going on in Samaria. So they send up Peter and John, and they're like, you guys need to go check this thing out. So Peter and John, they hop on their camel or whatever, and they, they stroll on into Samaria. Uh, they show up, and they're like, what's going on? And they're like, you're not going to believe this. People are becoming Christians like crazy. Just like Jesus said it would happen, people are becoming Christians. And we've been baptizing them in the name of Jesus. It's so awesome. And Peter and John are like, have they received the Holy Spirit yet? And they're like, no, I don't think anybody's received the Holy Spirit yet. And, and so what happens is Peter and John, they lay their hands on them. They touch them and they receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is poured out on them. And the Holy Spirit moves in the same way that he moved in Jerusalem. Here's, here's why that's important. In Acts chapter 2, we see a Pentecost moment. What we're going to see in the book of Acts is actually four Pentecost moments. Because of the four groups of people that Jesus was trying to reach with this message. First, in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem, these were Jews. At this point, up to chapter 8, no one other than a Jew had been reached. So the Jews is the first group. The second group are the Samaritans. The Samaritans, which were really half-breeds. They were former Jews that made their own country, made their own religion, made their own nationality. But Jesus says, I'm going to reach the Samaritans as well. This is Acts chapter 8. And then we're going to see God-fearing Gentiles, those who were Gentiles but believed what the Jews believed, but weren't practicing the law in the same way as the Jews, the, the God-fearing Gentiles, and then the non-God-fearing Gentiles. And here's what happens in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on the Jews. He pours himself out on all of them. Acts chapter 8 in Samaria, Holy Spirit comes and pours himself out on the Samaritans. Acts chapter 10, God comes to Cornelius', Cornelius house, the God-fearing Gentile, pours himself himself out on, on Cornelius and, and the others that are there. And then in Acts chapter 19 to the Gentiles, um, the, the gospels preached in Ephesus and into Asia, and the Holy Spirit comes and pours himself out. Here's, here's what that means. Some people get so tied up in all the ways and the nuances of the nature of the way that the Holy Spirit is trying to work in that. And I don't even completely grasp everything that the Holy Spirit's trying to do. But I do know, know one thing that the Holy Spirit's trying to do. He's trying to say, I'm in everybody. I'm in everybody. Doesn't matter if you were Jewish, doesn't matter if you're from Jerusalem, doesn't matter if you were in Samaria, doesn't matter if you're considered a religious half-breed, doesn't matter if you're a God-fear, a non-God-fear, I'm in all of you. I'm in all of you. And here's what Jesus does. He takes a religion that could have been easy, a mono-based religion, and he makes it a multi-based religion. 
could have been monocultural, mono could have been monoethnic, could have been monoregional, it could have been monolinguistic, and he makes it multi. He makes it multilingual. He makes it multinational. He makes it multi-ethnic. He makes it multi-regional. This is what, this is what he, he does. This is, this is why. This is, this is why. We've got to reach our city regardless of who is here. We've we got to reach our city. We're not building a club here for people that look like me or that act like a certain kind of people or whatever. We've got to be a kingdom and got to be a people that reach everybody that God's put here. Okay? And we've got to demonstrate that this kingdom is for all peoples. It's for all people, regardless of what your background is, your, your region is, or your language is, or any of that stuff. And we, we, we got to go. Somebody say, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. And here we see in the book of Acts that this story and this message, it is for all people. And you know there's a tendency in us to feel like we're kind of the Jews and going to let other people in? No. We were those worthless Gentiles that were so far from God and didn't want God and didn't need God and didn't pursue God, but he pursued us. And by his grace, he has allowed us in. Isn't that good news? That God loved you enough that he wanted you to be a part of his family and a part of his kingdom. Amen. Well, here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask the band to join me as we, as we wrap it up. And I want you to grasp a little bit of this idea that we got to go. I want you to grasp the story that we are a part of. I want you to, to grasp the, the nature of this movement. Somebody say church on the move. We're a church on the move. And I think it would be helping if I ended in this way to help us understand kind of where we come from and where we are going. Let me read this for you. It says this. In Acts chapter 1, approximately 29 AD, the resurrected Jesus gives us a group of scared fishermen, gives them the commission to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And the apostles, they start in Jerusalem and thousands of people trust Jesus as their savior. In Acts chapter 8, God brings persecution to the church and actually scatters them all over the world. And they go preaching the gospel everywhere they go. Also in Acts chapter 8, Philip, he goes to Samaria. And then he wins the Ethiopian ruler in the end of chapter 8. And that Ethiopian ruler, he takes the gospel back with him to Ethiopia and the gospel spreads. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus saves a guy named Saul and he makes him the apostle Paul and he sends him planting churches on several missionary journeys across the Roman Empire. In AD 49, Mark would go to Egypt with the gospel. In AD 49, Paul would head to Turkey and to Greece with the gospel. In AD 52, Thomas would take the gospel to India, church history would tell us. In AD 54, Paul is on his third missionary journey and he reports great success. And wherever he goes, the Gentiles believe the gospel. The book of Acts ends rather abruptly with no real ending because there is no ending to the expansion of the church. In AD 70, shortly after the book of Acts closes, Romans completely crush Jerusalem, forces Christians to scatter all over the world. And by the end of the first century, there are three great church planting centers in Antioch, Rome, and Alexandria. From these centers, churches are planted all over the Roman Empire. And by the end of the third century, upwards of half of the Roman Empire converted to Christianity. 
In the year 432, a guy named Patrick responds to a dream and he carries the gospel to Ireland and plants churches in Ireland. In the year 56, a church planter named Augustine, he ventures to what is now known as England and he settles in Canterbury and he plants a church there and baptizes 10,000 people in the first two years. In the year 650, we have the early translation of the English Bible done by a monk named Cademan. In 635, the first missionaries go to China. In 718, an English church planter named Boniface. He was sent out from England to plant churches in Germany. And the next 500 years or so are a little sketchy in terms of Christian history, which is why they're called the Dark Ages. But one of the good things that came out of this season was a conviction by many Christians that the most effective way to spread the gospel was to put the Bible in the language of every people. And so by 1200, the Bible is now available in 22 different languages. In 1493, the gospel stretches to the new world when Christopher Columbus takes priest with him on his second journey to the Americas. In 1580, there's an outbreak of mission work even in places like Japan across the world. And even in Japan, the government tried to crush the movement and crucified 70 pastors upside down at low tide and let them drown as the tide came in. In 1587, we have the first two baptisms in North Carolina. Two Native Americans on Roanoke Island were baptized in what is now known as the Lost Colony. In 1609, a guy named John Smith plants a church that was founded on the belief that the Bible alone was the authority and that you should be saved by faith in Christ. And that when you receive Christ, you show it in baptism. In 1727, the first church of its kind was planted in North Carolina, Shiloh Baptist Church in Chowan County. In 1740, the evangelist George Whitfield, he took a preaching tour through North Carolina, and crowds of upwards of 35,000 people came to hear him. And when he went back to Massachusetts, he told the story. And there a man named Shubal Stearns, he became so inspired with the story that he became a church planner in North Carolina. And so in 1751, he moved with just his family and they planted Sandy Creek Baptist Church in Liberty, North Carolina with just 16 people. In just two years, that church had grown to 600 people. And that church went on to plant 42 other churches in North Carolina. And in 1845, a church was planted from that movement in Durham, originally the Rose of Sharon Church, but was later changed the name to First Baptist Church of Durham in 1878. First Baptist Durham planted several churches in the area, including a church that would become Grace Baptist Church in 1921. And in 1961, Grace Baptist started a new mission on Duke Street called the Grace Baptist Mission. Within a year of the mission, it had grown and launched a church called Homestead Heights Baptist Church. And in, 20, or in 2002, 40 years later, Homestead Heights, a struggling and in-decline church, God renewed a vision within the church and they launched and changed the name to the Summit Church. And in 2007, God continued the movement and gave the Summit a vision to plant 1,000 churches by the year 2050. And in 2013, a group of people at the Summit get a vision to see a new church planted in a strategic city in Southeast North Carolina in Wilmington. And on September 21, 2014, the Bridge Church officially launches and we join the movement that Jesus has been building for 2,000 years. We gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. This isn't a church just to come and get some goods and services in. 
This is a church to raise up some people and to send them out and to see this gospel continue to reach our city, our region, and the world. Can I get a big amen in the house if you believe that? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the good news of what Jesus has done for us and that this gospel is is going around the world and it's reaching the world for Christ. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. And so God, would you allow us to be a church that is going, a church that is sending, a church is that, that is not content with the status quo, but a church that is on the move. It's reaching people for Christ. So continue to raise us up and to continue to send us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.